Gaming NBS episode 135. Learning a new game! Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. And I still sound like complete crap. This is lovely. Oh, man. This is, I mean, I love my kids, man, but every once in a while they bring home, like, the Black Death or whatever creepy, horrible, viscous crud this is, and then it just, like, sits in me for a month. It sucks. Isn't that what kids do? Aren't they known for that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they are. I'm just, I'm just here to say that, uh, it's like they're lucky I love them. That's that's what I'm saying right now. Cuz this is fucking miserable. Well, it doesn't do anything to to do anything to them at this point, I guess. That's true. It's too late. It's been and done. And you're really and you're really weak. Yeah. Yeah, I am at this point. Yeah, they could just you know, r- run away from me and I'd take like two brisk steps and I'd be coughing up my lungs and I'd be done for. So you got that going for you. Yeah, so that's always fun. Anyway, uh, see announcements. Yeah, we got uh, GameholeCon. What did they do? They just announced something too, didn't they? What is that? Event registration opens April sixteenth. Very cool. That means that we have to get our collective, <clears throat> you know what, together so we can have gaming and BS banner games and the rest of that good stuff. So, got some stuff to get a hold of. Uh, I should say not get a hold of, but to build, put together, send to Alex and the boys over there, and make sure that we are accounted for appropriately. Very cool. Yeah. We should also uh, call out that Evercon, we figured out our our new dates. Now, granted, it's in January of 2018, but just for anybody who's planning way the hell ahead, uh, Friday, January 5th, Saturday the 6th, and Sunday the 7th are our dates for next year. So I'll put those out there as well. Are they on the website? Yes, they are, evercon.org. They are live and fresh. Um, we should say the Gamehole Con event submission... Opening April 16, 2017. Yes. For the November 2017 show. For those that are listening to this a year later. <laughs> See, everybody knows. Speaking of dates. Yes. Um, twenty. So today is the 10th of April. We're recording this, which will drop tomorrow, which is the 11th. We had some snafu occur in the last couple days, I guess, where everybody got a buttload of our episodes pushed to their podcatcher. Yeah, I got 68 of them myself. <laughs> well, you know, I want to make sure Brett's listening to us. <clears throat> well, I, I, I did what I'm pretty sure most people did, was I went, oh, something probably fucked up with my podcatcher. Ah, bloody hell. I just cleared things out and started over. But then Sean and I heard from multiple sources that it happened to more than just me, so... Yeah, and I thought it was Wayne Lumrunner Humphrey yanking my chain, and I'm like, no, Wayne, it's it's all you, man. And then it was another person, and another person. So we didn't do it intentionally. We hope we didn't piss you off. And frankly, if you unsubscribed, you're probably not listening to this anyway. But <laughs> Quite possibly. We didn't do it on purpose. I don't know what happened. One of my contacts mentioned, uh, Mr. Serrano mentioned that it, it has happened maybe if you update a WordPress plugin, uh, but hopefully it didn't download 60-some episodes to your phone, which would 
probably be bad for those of you that don't have a lot of space. So our apologies. It wasn't something we did intentionally. As a matter of fact, I'm still, at this point, have no idea of what actually occurred. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh, well. Shall we move on? Yes, let's do it. Random encounter it up, man. Random encounter. Segment of the shows where we field emails, voicemails, and comments from social media. We have a voicemail for Mr. Shorb, who has not called us in a little while. Let well, me just, let's, uh, let's see what he's got to say. say. Hey, Brett and Sean. It's Chris Shorb giving you guys a call. I haven't called you guys in a while. Just wanted to uh, was listening to the convention episode. Uh, good episode, as always. I had one comment or one dimension that you guys didn't mention in your uh, discussion of con convention I don't remember what the exact topic was. Basically, you know, whether the game, whether the game, a lot of game conventions are not just RPG conventions, but they also have board games, miniature games, uh, CCGs like Magic uh, or whatever. And um, and I just was wondering what you guys' thoughts were because um, the strategic cons feel like they're really board game focused. Uh, the RPGs are kind of upstairs and sort of out of the way, and that's always how it's been. Uh, they got a dynamic RPG scene, you know, they got fill a huge room with Adventurers League and got another huge room with Pathfinder Society and they've got a dynamic, you know, a lot of, um, indie games, but, um, it still feels overall like a board game convention. And so I was just wondering, uh, if you guys had any thoughts or comments on that. And, uh, so have a great day. Take care. Bye. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that my friends and I that are running Evercon now we, <clears throat> excuse me, we've we're doing what we can. I, I jokingly refer to it as it's a battleship, right? To turn a convention around and say, hey, guess what? It's not going to have a little bit of everything. It's going to be a gaming focused convention. So I want more RPGs, board games, card games, and um, we've got some video game um, folks that are really um, very active uh, in the Wausau area in my hometown, and they love coming there for tournaments and so on. So we want to maintain that for them because it's just it's a really good draw, and, and those folks are always actually really nice and polite and really cool to deal with. Um, one of the things I know some cons, and I <clears throat> I get the pressure on Evercon, is to the local <laughs> news organizations contact me and say, oh, it's like Comic-Con. There's a ton of people dressed up like anime people. I'm like, no, that's not what this convention's about. And um, it is difficult, I think, and I, from talking to Alex and Josh and <clears throat> Andrew and the guys at Gamehole, it is difficult for a convention to find themselves, if you will. It's kind of it's hard to like pick a charter and say we're going to be focused on X. Um, but I think it's important that you do that, even if you have to take a convention like I am with Evercon and try to refocus it. It's important to find what you, what it is that you're going to be good at. <clears throat> Excuse me. So GaryCon, for instance, they are a tabletop RPG focused con. There is wargaming, of course, and so on, but it's all that that thing. It has the old school flavor all over it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you, there is D and D, Adventures League, and so on there, but it's not nearly as packed as it is at other conventions. Even at uh, 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 GameholeCon, it's much more packed. So I don't mind necessarily the conventions that have a little bit of everything in a way. Um, when you have cards, board games, and tabletop games, much like um, uh, GameholeCon does, I think that's fine because a lot of that stuff cross-pollinates. You get the same type and quality of gamer there um, as opposed to then trying to <clears throat> excuse me, slip in 
a anime-heavy-duty anime cosplay Comic-Con type of feel on top of it can get a little ugly sloppy, and it just doesn't it doesn't fit well, and you get this weird clashing of people who are there for different things. So I don't mind it. It's um, I think having a solid RPG-only con would be totally fine. I'm pretty sure that's... I've not been to North Texas, but my understanding is that is what North, Te- North Texas is all about. You're going to have a smaller convention, which is fine, Um and that is a, a thing that you then have to, as a con organizer, in my opinion anyway, have to acknowledge and go with to say, hey, guess what? Um, we're only going to be a 500-person con tops. We're never going to be a, uh, anywhere other than the Holiday Inn or the Marriott. We're never going to leave this hotel or <clears throat> a reasonable-sized hotel convention center because there's no way I'd fill out the Alliant Energy Center or a big convention center because we're RPG-focused only. And uh, that's fine, but you're not going to get some of the draw you would for a larger 1,000 or 2,000 person con. So it's a, it's a dance, I think, in a way. But I think if the convention at least stays, has a vision and a goal of what they want it to be, then they're in better shape. Sean, that was my, my thought. What do you, you got anything, man? The cons that I find that are not, so I don't know if this is the flip side of that or the same thing that Chris is getting at, but we have Geek Con and we have Odyssey Con as well here in Madison, Wisconsin. Odyssey Con is a science fiction, science fiction sci-fi con. And Geek Con is a little bit of anime cosplay, I think. There's a little bit of gaming, video games, panels. But what I found, Odyssey Con I have been to maybe once and this was years ago, so I think their gaming may have changed a bit. I don't know for sure. And my take is that it, it takes a for gaming it takes a back seat, right? So somebody may not head it up. Somebody may want to try to head it up, and then they don't get the support they need from the con organizers because their focus is on the authors and the panels and the movie room and maybe the costume contest and Role-playing games in a, a little game room is kind of tacked on. And so it uh, to me, it doesn't interest me because it's not the focus of that con. Now, if I was a sci-fi person, then maybe it would. But uh, at the same time, same with GeekCon, although I think their room is a little bit bigger. I think they've got some good organizers for their gaming space. But again, it's not the emphasis of the convention. So to me, I don't know, it's just... I don't know. I'd rather just go to a gaming convention. And if it's role-playing specific, great. But I think that many will, like Gamehold tries to put in the board game space and open board games as the board game library. But yeah, the miniatures piece and the CCGs especially aren't going to be huge because it just, those cons don't make a big draw for Magic the Gathering players, because they're playing Friday Night Magic and they're probably playing two or three times at a local game store. They don't have to feel compelled to go to a convention to play in maybe a pickup game where they probably do that all the time with their buddies. I actually run into that with Ericon. <coughs> Excuse me, quite a bit, where we have people that play Starfleet Battles or whatever that they normally, their war game um, that they play at the shop or they play Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever at the shop. Sorry, I had to mute myself there. Um, and those folks are like, well, unless there's like a huge prize award for this tournament, fuck it, I'm not going because I don't want to pay $25 to get in for an entire day's worth of convention going. Again, um, RPG gamers and 
board gamers are honestly some of the <laughs> some of the craziest con going fans because um, I had to convince. I know Alex had to have the same thing at Alliant, and I had to convince the people who ran the convention center that Evercon is at that if this works and I get my 1500 people in here, they're never going to leave. If I get, you know, 500 gamers, I mean, RPGs and board games, they're not going to leave the building. I got enough food and drink and options and blah, blah, blah. Cause we don't leave. We, we use the hell out of that convention space where a lot of, um, some of the other things are kind of, um, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And, um, so anyway, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't care so much if the, if the convention, has lots of things in it. I do, I think, Sean, I'm more in your camp. If I look at that say, oh, GeekCon has a little bit of everything, nah, I'm not going. I want to go to something that's a little more focused because that tells me that my tribe will be at the place that's more focused. Yeah, I'll find some gamers and some other people, but I don't care about <clears throat> anime. That's not a thing for me. I don't want to watch. Um, I'm not into cosplay. I, I love the fact that people do it, and there's some incredibly talented men and women that get into it. It's not my thing. And if there's a huge swath of the convention that's dedicated or geared towards that, you know, I, I feel like I've, you know, essentially wasted my money to show up somewhere that doesn't have everything that I want. So, eh, anyway, that's all I got. Yeah, Br- Brett goes to game cons and he doesn't even play any games. So, I mean, he's not going to go to a that, con that, that's that not was, a game con. That was Gary Con, man. Gary Con is my is my relaxing meeting people con. That's why. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he, you do run games at Game Hall. You're right. And Evercon. I run the whole goddamn convention. So, there. Well, that's different, though. <laughs> All right, uh, next, do you want to take Flip or do you want me to? I will let you while I have a coffee fit here. All right, fair enough. Uh, email from Flip Flory from Flip the Table Podcast. Hey there, guys. I just started listening to you guys after my good friend and your Patreon supporter, Roger Braslett, suggested it. Hey. Thank you, Roger. Thank you very much, yeah. sir. I've been going through your backlog and picking and choosing topics that are interesting, and I am enjoying it quite a bit. I love the fact that your backlog has an evergreen quality to it. Uh, well, that just means our ideas, are, <laughs> ideas aren't stale and musty. That's good. That's good. We'll go with that. That's true. Yes, they, the topics are kind of evergreen-ish, but the show, we put dates in all the time and talk about the here and now, which really kind of screws things up. But anyways... I digress. He doesn't put that in there. Continuing continuing on with Flip. Your podcast and a recent gaming experience has inspired me to try to become a better game master. If I had to rate myself on game mastery, I would give myself a C-. I've dabbled over the years, but I never considered myself to be really, really good. Anyway, due to stupid adult life and scheduling, I haven't gotten to role-play much for the past few years. Luckily, I recently got a chance to join in on Roger's ongoing second edition D&D game. So trying to keep the story flowing well, I decided to roll up a character that would make sense for me to just walk in and join up with this party. I created Garen Overcrest, a gnome cartographer, only 83 years old and finally striking out on his own to map uncharted territories. The rest of the party was already level 7, and Roger helped me create a kit on the fly to give, get me up to speed and equipped with everything a cartographer would have. Long story short... I join up with them for protection, and they allow me to join because I, one, look like I'm going to get myself killed, and two, I bought them all a round of drinks. That'll do it. Uh, They are on their way to bust into an ancient temple in the middle of a swamp to kill some big baddie, and I tag along. 
Excuse me. They eventually encounter a black dragon, which by some quick thinking and fast talking escorts the party out of the temple while making them promise never to return. <laughs> I like that dragon now. It's kind of this whole, what did we learn? I won't bother you, sir. That's right. Now go home before I call your mother. I like that. I tried to role play my character who has a passion for mapping the unknown. I told the party I was going to sneak back to the temple and map as much as I could. They should stay in town, and if I'm not back in five days, take off. The party thief feels bad for me and decides to escort me back to the temple. We had pretty much only stepped through the doors of the temple, and Roger was already grabbing a handful of dice to deal out damage. Black Dragon with one blast of acid breath. He didn't even allow me, allow me a chance to talk my way in. At least it was a very quick death. My character was only three hours old. It was the quickest character con- uh, conception slash death I had ever experienced. Nonetheless, I had fun and I feel I had stayed true to the story. I do not besmirch Roger. It was a fair and just kill. Which are the best kind of kills, by the way. That's very good. Next sitting, I am going to introduce my next character, not named yet, a gnome cartographer historian that maps the trails of and lands of cartographers that have died or have disappeared in the line of duty. I love it. I love that. He will stroll into the party after a bit and proclaim he is on the trail trying to learn the fate of one Garen Overcrest. I haven't looked through your entire backlog yet, so I don't know if you have touched on it, but how do you guys handle what I guess you would call quote-unquote legacy character family trees? Example, Phytor, the... 14th, son of the son of the son of the next door neighbor of the third cousin of the original Phytor and seeking revenge of all of his previous characters' deaths, or willing an estate and artifacts to their next character, or any way they can work the system to gain clout, riches, or skills for that little or no effort. Do you try to allow it for good storytelling, or do you think there might be a time to nip it in the bud? Anyway, thanks a lot for producing some quality podcasts. I'm really enjoying it, and I know it will be a big part in my quest to become a better game master. Take care, Flip Flory. Thanks, Flip. That was really nice, man. Yeah, it is nice. You know, Sean, that's something we haven't talked about much is the legacy character piece that's a not only an AD&D on the bottom of the old uh, AD&D first ed character sheets. It, would, it had like a will and testament. I so-and-so leave all my stuff to whatever. That was the thing you did. Um, and in Call of Cthulhu, as characters would die or go insane, you would uh, make sure you had a really long, you know, so the green witches that lived outside of uh, Arkham would have a very extensive family tree because uh, somebody, some great crazy cousin would have to find the dead great uncle's notes and then help join the party and carry on with the fight against Azathoth or whatever because that was one of the easiest ways to kind of railroad the new player back into the plot line. I think that might... Uh, I guess he character family. Tree. I think there's a good way to do it, and there's a <clears throat> clunky. Let's just do this because it's it's uh, you know kind of hangs disbelief a little bit higher on the on the wall a little bit. Suspend that disbelief high. <clears throat> but I think this is uh, this actually might make a good topic. I like this flip. I'm gonna add that into the list. Yeah, please do so we don't lose track of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, Mr. Director Mark won't let me use pins, so I have to <clears throat> I have to I have to use a list. And cut and paste. There we go. There we go. I tried to use a pin last time, and Bob got all mad at me. Why don't we just tack it somewhere? <coughs> Ooh, that's can good. We, yeah, can we tack? Tack? yeah, let's get a let's tack, tack on it. that. Let's tack, tack it. it up. Let's tack it up. There we go. 
No, no cork boards or pins. We get to use tacks and uh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, cool. Tacks. I didn't and even think Bob listened to us. I don't oh. even know how he can claim it if he hasn't even heard it. I oh, guess. I'm pretty I sure. Well, word gets around. Word gets around. Well, I suppose the boys yeah. do talk. All right. right. All right. I think I've got, hang on, let me get a sip here. Ah, scotch to dead in the voice. All right. Email from Ace. Brett and Sean, thanks for taking the time to read my last email on air, and I appreciate the mea culpa on the issues I brought up. I really wasn't trying to give you a hard time, but I wanted to get your attention and trying to be funny. Hey, Ace, you absolutely were, man. It was nothing bad. It it was fun. He was funny in that? Yeah. He he called us us idiots, which is totally funny, because we are. Furious. No, no, he's oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> Base ace. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. God damn. Uh, sorry, I missed the mute button on that one, folks. I really enjoyed the discussion on the cipher system you had in your most re- recent episode, and I really uh, like to read some of the related games, but mostly because the Monty Cook settings are fantastic. My issue with what the cipher system appears to be from your discussion is the fact that GM gets no dice. Perhaps cipher system does it differently than other games that operate on that principle. But I'll take the time to at least read the rules before passing judgment and bring this up an issue in quote-unquote modern RPGs that's been bugging me. Why do so many modern game designs insist on taking away the GM's dice? There's a strong contingent of people who actually, didn't, who actually did get into this hobby, myself among them, after seeing those funky dice on a store shelf, wondering what these things were about, and picking up a book and some dice. I read the rules and realized <clears throat> if I wanted to have the opportunity to play this cool game and use the dice, I'd have to run the game myself for my friends. Fortunately, I have the world-building, adventure-designing, game-mastering personality type to let me do that, by God. Um, I'm going to roll my damn dice. Um, oh, excuse me, but by God, I'm going to roll my damn dice. Take away my dice, and I quit designing adventures. The game designers seem to forget the GM is there to play a game, too. <clears throat> the GM is not a video game console. The GM is a fully involved player in the game. In some ways, the GM might be the most involved player. I read theories of taking away the GM's dice... <clears throat> um, uh, by taking away the GM's dice, the game system somehow improves player agency or reduces the possibility of GM abuse. Let's take those two reasonings one by one. First player or character, agency, can hardly be affected by the roll of dice as the probabilities <clears throat> should involve should, under the rules, reflect the external factors not under the character's control. Whether that's the main, whether that's the terrain, excuse me, <clears throat> in the in a combat or the mood of the NPCs in a social encounter, bonuses and penalties reflect the natural abilities of the character and the favorable and unfavorable circumstances the player manages to create throughout actions. The dice represent all the extra stuff, right down to the argument that Stunt Goblin number 3 has with Mrs. Stunt Goblin number 3 had the night before that color his actions and reactions to the situation at hand. Therefore, the die rolls free up a huge amount of brain power for the GM to use on other more important things than what Mr. and Mrs. Stunt Goblin said to each other and how much sleep they got. Things like color commentary on the fight, so it's not just you hit stunt goblin misses, on the fly descriptions of the rooms, the PCs weren't supposed to find, and the social reactions that come about for the unforeseen things the PCs try. Secondly, <clears throat> the GM abuse situation can hardly be blamed on the dice. GM abuse is, quite simply, a function of some people being shitty GMs. A shitty GM is a shitty GM who will be a shitty GM who treats players poorly whether he has dice to inflict on them or not. So what reasons do you have for not wanting dice in the hands of GM? Brett in particular likes to advocate 40 calls player-facing die rolls, which seems to translate to players roll the dice, GM shuts his dice bag and reads the flavor text. I'd love to hear the reasoning behind that. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Uh, you know, I, Ace, I think that's a good, um, that's actually a good topic because I've, I've talked about player-facing die rolls and, um, even in the gumshoe system, as I alluded, as I said in our gumshoe episode and, 
I mentioned when we were talking Darcy and Troy, the Game Master does not give up all the dice. There's still a, a die roll on the Game Master side in Gumshoe. But um, and that's an intriguing component to me of Cypher to completely lose my dice as a Game Master. But um, I think the idea of player-facing dice and what they can give you or what they're supposed to give you might make it for an interesting topic. Sean, um, what are you thinking there, man? Yeah, I do think that, uh, you know what, it, it, it may not be for everybody, and that's okay. Um, I think that some people would argue that they like that approach because it allows them to focus on different things. Now, Ace would say, well, I just named out a few ways that they can focus and still roll dice. Sure, absolutely. I don't know. I guess my question to Ace would be, one, has he tried it? Right? Well, I think he, he he says that at the beginning, right? Where he says, hey, Can I'm going to read Cypher. I haven't, he basically saying oh, he hasn't, okay. hasn't done Cypher, but he's going to read it at least, you know, <clears throat> before our passing rules uh, judgment or anything like that. Right. I, I think the, the interesting thing here is that if Ace has unfortunately run into, I mean, we all run into these people within any hobby, honestly. <clears throat> the one true way person. Like, oh, if you're not running small book indie games, you aren't, you're stodgy and you don't know this. Oh, if you're not running OSR, you're this, this. I mean, there's some douchebag attitude out there on all sides of whatever yard you happen to be playing in that thinks you're doing it wrong or you're not getting the full effect of something that they think is amazing. And if that's something that Ace has been running into or has seen before, which I know I have, I take it with a very large grain of salt when I read those type of commentaries on different posts and such. I just like, yeah, well, whatever. That's what that person likes, and that that's totally fine. Um, but there is um, there is a thrust within there, and, and we did kind of rave about it a little bit during the um, uh, cipher system talk there. So I think it might bear a discussion on our parts on our side. So I will tack it to the wall. Yeah, I think the only thing I could think of is if a if a GM is tasked with rolling stuff for random things like weather or certain random encounters or whatever that is, is maybe specifically to like Dungeon World, if the GM just makes those things happen, you know, the GM says it's shitty weather outside or the GM says there's a, you know, uh, you hear something coming down the hallway and they don't have to roll necessarily, and it's just going to happen. And the characters have to react to what is put presented to them. Maybe the random piece doesn't; it doesn't have to play a big part in in the whole scheme of things, right? So I, we talk about me running railroads. To me, like a random encounter generator, it might be fun for a game master if that's their thing. But at the same time, do you have to roll on a random? encounter table well, we talk, why don't i just pick one yeah we talked about that in the random right you know in the random charts episode yeah. right i mean it's it is there's multiple ways to accomplish the same thing and some people find one toolkit handier to get there right that's fine yeah yeah but it's it's worth you know interesting to talk i'd be interested in what ace finds with like the cipher system because a lot of it's just you know you i imagine you just come up with story and you're you're the you don't have to roll up you don't have to roll up Encounters. I mean, you just pick the tier, mm-hmm. which allows the difficulty of overcoming those very easy by multiples of three. 
that's a gist of the game. But I think one of the things that, John, I believe you'd agree with me on this, is that if anybody's telling any of our listeners or any, any game, or if, on, I mean, God forbid, if, if you've accidentally done it or done it on purpose, telling somebody that they're having bad wrong fun or they don't know how to game right because they're not following some one true path or they're, they're, they're doing it, they could be doing it better. Um, if that person in their group are enjoying what they're doing, they're getting the types of stories, the types of everything that they want out of it, then it's being done right. Um, it may be a game that I would be bored out of my skull in or that I would hate <clears throat> or that Sean would hate or whatever. But I'm, you know, I, 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 I've told people many times, ooh, um, sounds like you guys are having a good time. That's cool. That's not my game, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I don't like doing it that way. I like to do it this other way. People will often say, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, but I don't think I like that. I said, exactly. That's fine. You don't have to like what I like. That's totally cool. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I've tacked it. You're next. All right. Let's get in. Blake Ryan uh, sends an audio. This is Blake Ryan with some thoughts about uh, clerics in gaming. Clerics, uh, God and Church can be the reason two of the characters know each other during their character creation and background development. Having a religion, church and God is an opportunity to give uh, a character a style and a focus, just like taking a prestige class. In 2nd edition they are called Spheres of Influence, in 3rd and 5th edition it's called Domains. A cleric who follows a god of wealth and fevery will have a very different style and focus to that of a cleric of a war god. If you know, if you've always used Microsoft programs or always eaten at KFC, clerics are similar and they believe in the brand, their way of doing things and the lifestyle they suggest. Just because intelligence is not your main stat doesn't mean your clerics are stupid. They can use acid, alchemist, fire or holy water to cut enemies or deny an area. Elven clerics can use bows for artillery support and dwarven clerics can use axes for melee support. Uh, any of them can use antitoxin or first aid kits so they don't re- rely solely on magical healing. Clerics are usually part of a group, so you know, you've got a safe place to crash and they can share information. These are recurring resources you can lean on. Many people don't like clerics because they feel they get bossed around by the church, but since most NPC most quests come from NPCs, and aligning yourself with the church or God gives you a choice in those quest directions, for example, if you follow the sun god who fights undead, there's a fair chance there's going to be some anti, some undead bashing quests come up. So yeah, sign up for what you want in the game. Most gods and churches have allies and enemies. This creates adventure opportunities for you and lets your character be more involved in the game. Clerics are not Catholic saints or Buddhist monks. The tenets of the faith vary greatly, and most gods have no issue with gambling or drinking. Clerics are more than just healing bots. Every character and every player deserves equal respect in and out of game. Don't micromanage your cleric unless you want them to micromanage you. If your cleric is low on healing and you have to do hit and run tactics against enemies, then do that. It's better than dying and makes it more interesting story than a prolonged fight anyway. Role playing a cleric is not hard. You can just say, you know, you pray over the fallen enemies and before meals. It's not rocket science and adds depth to your characters. Maybe your cleric is busy but shy, so they get his or her church to find suitable candidates for marriage each time you come into town. Uh, non-violence may, and mercy to people may not apply to some or all monsters and finding out the difference. It may be a fun thing to debate during the course of the campaign. Maybe your church of wealth and trade is taking over the thieves guild and you want in, or maybe you want to stop it. Losing your faith 
Uh, the DM can ask the player if they want a quest from the former god or a new god and weave that into a story. It doesn't have to mean suddenly Cat is useless and that's it. All right. That was it. That was that was actually that was actually really interesting. I think the best part in there that I got, I mean, that other was all honestly, Blake. That was all really good stuff. I like, I loved how whenever we we've done only two, two of these now, and we were pick a class type of thing, and then uh, listeners come out of the woodwork to say, "Oh, here's a here's a thing that we do or whatever it is." Because again, Sean and I have said this many times over 100 plus episodes that you folks have just as good, if not better, ideas than we do. So listening to this stuff is great. One thing that Blake that you said there, <coughs> excuse me, that really uh, sung to me was pick the god you want, right? Pick what you want from your game. So if you pick a god, you talk to the game master and you're like, "Look, I'm going to pick a god of you know who hates undead." Oh, really? Says the game master. Yeah, because I think it'd be really fun to fight undead. You can use those words out loud with the game master and the rest of the players. And if the players like, ah, oh, you know, we just we fought undead like crazy last time. Maybe we should be, you know against merchants or something or you know then you can there's there's lots of ways to kind of negotiate around it but the tie from the cleric to the quest and from their god and their tenants and so forth to to directly impact the various plot lines and hooks that can come at you um by signing up for that god you basically are signing up for what you want your part of the game to be about i think that's a really cool that's a really cool spin on that thank you sir i like that yeah yeah, that was definitely good stuff, Blake. And I actually like, uh, like Brett mentioned, that, you know, signing. This is what you're signing up for the game, right? When you talk about your domain or the type of cleric you want to play, the GM should cue in on that and offer some of those situations so you can kind of shine in that role. So, uh, next up, Steve Orlick comes back after we address his "Who runs the game?" question. Hey guys, thanks for diving into my topic idea. You pretty much covered every thought I've had about the situation. I was going to call BS on something that was said in there, but I forgot what it was. (laughs) Dodged a bullet, Brett. Yay! (laughs) You're off the hook for now, at least until I re-listen. Uh-oh, it's coming. It's going to come to him in the middle of the night, and he will frantically run to his computer to type something up or... Pretend he remembers, only to have it fade away in the morning. Anyways, bonus points to Brett for comparing it to the boss-employee relationship. I also think the employee has all the power there. However, you can be fired if you exercise that power. By the same token, I could kick people out or just find another group, as was suggested. Uh, The problem is three of the four players are family. (laughs) I'm trying to be diplomatic and not throw them under the bus on the interwebs. Fair. fair. That makes Thanksgiving hell, I'll tell you that. So good, good, good move. Family. Uh, I've pretty much gone with the roll with it angle. I take my story moments when I can get them and deal with the frustration as best I can, usually by drinking scotch while I'm playing. I, I condone that. We had the whole pre session zero talk about what we want out of the game. Everyone was on board, but the table dynamic emerged as time went on. I think that's kind of how it goes in most games. The intentions are good, but people are who they are, and the dynamic will settle into whatever it's going to be. I think of pickup games like at a con or D&D encounters where the table has strangers and casual players. Those situations really make me feel like the players have control. It all boils down to it is what it is. 
Great job with the topic and keep up the BS. Steve Orlick. Yeah, I think we mentioned that. I didn't, we weren't positive who was in the group, and that does sometimes make dealing with the group dynamics a little difficult, right? Where, oh, the guy whose house we're playing at, he and his wife, they're the problem. <laughs> this game would be great if it weren't for those two. That's the only place we have to play. Oh, lovely. What do I do with Jack and Diane? Do I do I say, wow, you suck? <laughs> or how do we fix this problem? Yeah, it's not it's not easy. It's a social <laughs> it's a social game and it's it's tough. It is very tough. Yeah. It is it's player dynamics, man. Yes. The social the social piece of it where we all say we're not very social as gamers, which is kind of a bunk. <laughs> it uh, is. Bunk, obviously bunk. But anyways, yeah, let us keep us up to date on that, Steve. Let us know how it goes and you know, if your family are all in Goop. when you when you really get to that breaking point. Yeah, cuz if you need somebody with a shovel, I could always help you out. I'm just saying. I'm kidding. <laughs> what do they say? A friend is what's the difference what? between a friend and a real friend? Uh yeah. you know, a real friend will help you hide bodies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right, so you want to read the mongrel? Yeah, so he's got a, a, a fairly decent rant, as is the Mongrel's Wants, over on Google+. we got a link in the show notes to it. And the Mongrel always has some really good perspectives, so thank you, sir. I always appreciate, and I know Sean does too, <coughs> you writing in. And, you know, basically at the end of his rant, this was the kind of the, the thing that he asked us, which kind of, in my opinion, tags into our main topic here. But um, what does a game system have to have to have for it to tick your boxes? With a plethora of systems out there for every game, what makes you choose one over the other? Is it the setting specifically it caters for? Is it adaptability, cost, ease of teaching, crunchiness? For example, why DCC over D&D or Pathfinder? So, Sean, um, that's kind of a... I mean, we've talked about this a couple times in the show. Like we had one uh, number of like, God, long episodes back around, you know, looking for the perfect game and why we keep buying stuff. Um, I don't know. There is... I think I've found out more of what <laughs> what ticks my boxes, as he says, with Kickstarters and various other new products now that I'm older and I'm trying to be more... I've got more expendable income than I did when I was a kid, but I'm trying to be smarter with it. So I'm looking at different products. I'm like, eh, is this better or different than anything you are currently own? Yes, DCC does this, this, and this. It's different than what I've got. Yes, I can do that. I'll, go, I'll get into that game type of thing. So I don't know. I, I The... The adaptability and the setting, I think some of that matters. God, I think a lot of this matters. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I don't know, man. It, it is weird, and I think it does matter. I I went into a game store, and the owner's, owner mentioned, I said, you know, another game that I'm never going to play. And she said, you know, my husband, she buy, he buys role-playing game rule books like people buy novels. They reads the rules, soaks them in. Um, it's something of an interest of his. And I think that I, I have toyed with this problem myself when it, uh, you know, that mongrel is alluding to. And um, it's hard to say. I think it. people are turned on by certain things with games. And some of them are, they, they latch on to and they become big fans of that game ambassadors of that game uh, eventually maybe even authors for that game designers what have you um, 
and it sometimes it just comes down to the feel. Maybe it's the ease of use. Um, so it is. It's the is the the setting specifically it caters for. Is it the adaptability, cost, ease of teaching, crunchiness? And I would say yes, it is. All of those. But it, you know, you got to ask a person individually why that's the case. Because if you're trying to lump, you know, why all people love all the lovers of Pathfinder love Pathfinder or DCC or whatever specific game. And you might get different answers from each one of them. I would expect you would. You'll get some similarities, but everyone's got a slight different twist on it. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Because I know for specifically, I have bought games that I like the settings, but I didn't like the rules. Um, buddy of mine bought the original Deadlands because he loved the fact that the one Deadlands limited edition uh, real leather cover he thought that was the coolest, sexiest looking book at Gen Con, so he bought it. And uh, he's like, oh my god, the setting is amazing. I'm like, well, for Christ's sake, Lenny, I mean, you spent a lot of money on that book. I hope you at least liked it. Oh, I never heard of it before then. Crazy bastard. So he has amassed a lot of those books. He does not like the system at all, loves the setting and everything about it, and he has cannibalized bits and pieces of that in other game systems over the years, other games, campaigns, I should say, they run. <clears throat> so he uses them as reference books. And I look at my stash of stuff, and yeah, I started doing a lot of that, where I think some of what I pick up tends to be uh, used as a reference manual more often than an actual game book. Oh, well. Shall we move on? We should. We should get going. Uh, On to the main topic. All right, Brett, what are we talking about this week? All right, so we've talked about a number of different games, just talked about Cypher. And, you know, Mongrel's point, you know, what the hell are we buying these games for? What do you like in them? Um, Player-facing dice, not player-facing dice we talked about before from Ace and others. And one of our listeners, Edwin, that brought this out too, is kind of like, how do you learn these new games? And I don't know if I can necessarily give anybody a, hey, this is what you do. Um, like step by step. These are the ten steps you take. You'll learn any game. There you go, my son or daughter. You're fine. Um, I figured, Sean, you and I could at least talk about what we do when we want to learn a game. You know, was it learning us learning a game, or is it getting somebody else to want to learn a game? I think we should take it first with us learning a game because if I'm going to get someone in on it, if I want to help somebody learn a game, you know, um, I guess we could take that approach as well, but. The way I the way I took this was, you know, how do I learn a new game? If I understand how I how I digest something or how you're doing it, that will help me, if nothing else, become a better teacher of that. I know that's helped me a lot in martial arts and various other things I've tried to teach people over the years. If you understand yourself how you learn, sometimes it helps you figure out how others learn. At least that's the theory I have. Don't know if that's true. You with me? Okay. You with me? Yeah, yeah, man, 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 man. I'm with you. So the first thing and. <clears throat> excuse me, as goofy as the sound is, read the rules. Um, so I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw a couple people I know specifically under the bus, but I'm not going to name names. Um, but I know a couple people who won't read the goddamn rules no matter what. What? Brand new game. Yeah, we're going to play this new game. Oh, that sounds good. I'll get you, I'll buy you a copy of the rules. Hey, there's a free version of these rules. It's an art-free version, or it's a this version, or whatever it is. It's the rules. The core rules are free. Here they go. Link. Go grab it. Do this. All right, you ready to play? I didn't read the rules. Why don't you read the rules? Well, you know me. I never read the rules. God damn it. Um, They don't, I mean, well, it's pretty much like this other thing. And then, 
all the small changes, like it's <clears throat> it's like D and D. Oh yeah, but it has this twist or this change or whatever, like Lamentations of Flame Princess or DCC. They are similar to Dungeons and Dragons, but they are not Dungeons and Dragons. They have differences. And when you don't understand the differences, or you're not even aware of what those are, when you sit down, make your character up, character generation becomes frustrating. Um, the game master gets frustrated because then you have to stop and explain things to you and half the other players have read or understand the rules. <clears throat> and then there's another time then during the game itself when something will come up and um, somebody will be like, oh, I want to do this thing. Oh, roll. So they want to accomplish an action. And you say, okay, roll this, add this, subtract this. Oh, I didn't know that's how that worked. Oh, if I had known that, I wouldn't have bought the skill. Oh, God, if you'd have read the fucking rules, we wouldn't have this problem. Um, Sean, have you, well, have you, are you with me here, or am, where am I, what do you think? So I have one beef with that. Go ahead. Okay, so you whip out the hero system and go read the rules. And it's like the size of a yellow pages. Well, it's like GURPS 4th edition. It's two hardback books, right? Well, yeah. I don't know, because GURPS 4th edition has two books, right? One is players, one is GM, right? Yes, but it's still two full books. If you're going to run it, you got to read the whole damn thing. Oh, if you run it, yes, yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I was thinking as players because you're kind of outing a, a little. For not, well, it's not. Yeah. I So I had this most specifically years back with a GURPS game when I happened to have multiple copies of the GURPS rulebook and the version we were going to use. And I said, here, all you need to read from the rules perspective is read how to make a character and, you know, the conflict resolution section. How do you fight? How do you use your skills? That'll pretty much cover everything. You should be good. Just about everybody in that group had read it except for two dudes. And both of those guys then made the entire then they hated the game and the, and the entire um, campaign sunk because they basically refused to learn the rules because they, "Well, these rules are clunky. This isn't very smooth." blah blah blah. I'm like, "Well, motherfucker, you didn't bother to read them. You have no idea what's going on." And any attempts to try to get you to learn them are falling flat because you're mad that it's not D&D. Different problem. But <clears throat> my point is that if you want to learn it, you need to read the rules. And if you're just just going to be a player, quote-unquote, figure out how to make a character and then what the conflict resolution mechanic is. If you can figure those two things out and have them at least understood at the high level, that's the first step, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's solid. I do think that, uh, well, yeah, Game Master's got to read the rules. That's not a question. And then the players should as well. Although some players do tend to learn more by doing, not all, but some some people just like to learn by doing versus reading. I think that would be almost my preference sometimes, which would be... I'd rather be in a game first before I run it. As long as that person that's running it knows what the hell they're doing. Okay, I can see that. Even on even nowadays, you can go on YouTube and get all kinds of videos on, I mean, board games, it's crazy. You can learn a board game just by watching a YouTube video real quick. Well, even with, even with the... Um... We, I mean, actual play podcasts and stuff like that can do it for you as well, too. I mean, there's ways to. I don't know. There's ways. I don't. I don't. I think there's a way that actual play can do it, but I don't think many do it very no. well. Good point. I mean, even though, as we know, for anyone who's listening to the show, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. When you want to run Edge of the Empire, I read the book that I got. A, I got a hold of the book and I read through the conflict resolution, 
and so forth. I went, okay, this is how you, this is what you do with your character. These are the dice you use, so on and so forth. This is how these are supposed to work. I had questions in game like, wait a minute, how does light side, dark side work? I thought it worked like this by the rule. To ha- you don't have to have a super in-depth knowledge of it, but you should at least understand what the core mechanic is. If it's a D20 system, and I say, look, in this system it's D20, so I will assign a difficulty class, a DC of, you know, 10 is easy, 20 is abysmally hard. Um, and you're going to roll, add some modifiers. Okay, you got it? Good. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you should be able to figure that out on your own. Even, and I, I guess you're, you're right. I mean, some people don't like to read the rules and so on, but I guess I don't understand gamers that don't like to read the rule books. I don't get that at all. That just, I think <clears throat> that baffles me. I think, I think some of them would rather, I, I don't know, man. I think if you get into some rules heavy systems, rules can be fucking boring. Okay, and so let's dull and mundane and tedious, and all you want to do is have a character get into start to play, have the GM if it's a GM based game convey the situation and the scenario, and allow you to roll with whatever it is. Now, having said that, I think that if you are playing a specific game that does, if there is an individual that likes the game, or let me back up. If there is an individual that does not like to read the rules, the one question I would ask is why? And maybe it's because of the, what I just mentioned. They're dull, they're mundane, they're you just they don't want to get into that crap because it's maybe something that just doesn't appeal to them. They want to be immersed in a story. They want to be able to have a character that can do actions and based on what the game master is presenting to them. And they could just say, well, okay, this is how I react to that. In which case, if you're playing a game that requires you to know the rules and that you have subsystems and things that are mechanically implemented into that game, that in order to do that, you need to know the rules, then maybe that person's not playing the game, the best game for their preference. Fair enough. And and I think a lot of people do that, and they're just... They never admit it, and they just kind of go. First of all, there's a couple things. They're going to go with whatever the majority goes with. So if you've got five players and you're like, hey, we're all going to play D&D, and that one person I'm speaking about is like, okay, and they go with it, they go with it easily, right? Because they're okay with that. They don't mind the game. But at the same time, they're not voicing their, it's hard, they're not being, Honest, not honest or upfront, but they may not even know that they that their type of game or their style of play doesn't require a rules heavy system. And if you threw something like Dungeon World in front of them, they may think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread because you just give them a play, you know, a playbook and say you can do whatever the hell you want in the narrative, and that's the key to it. And all you have to do is there's these moves, and we're gonna come together and decide when you implement and trigger one of those moves, and then based on that move, there's going to be a die roll, and then based on that die roll, you're going to have this happen. And that's, like, the rules. <coughs> so, I mean, reading a player reading an entire game, uh, the, the rule book of Dungeon World, is not needed. It really isn't. You can do it in a day. It's not that hard. It's not that hard, but the player doesn't need to. No. I could sit down I'll tell with you, five I'll tell you this, though. If the player sits at the table, then, and says, oh... I want to try to do this move. No, you can't do that. You're a fighter. Oh, why did I pick a fucking fighter then? 
This is stupid. Well, so I'm just the reason I'm saying that is because I've had that specific thing happen to me in my GURPS game. This is a while back. Piss me off to no end. And that's where when you say making PCs, and that's that's a thing I think is incredibly important, is that when you talk about player characters, you explain to people what the classes, classes, races, types, archetypes, whatever you've got in front of you, you explain it to people. Um, I think in addition to perhaps reading the rules is a little um, too narrow. Perhaps it should also I should also say you know ask questions because the <clears throat> the good players that I've got in my game group now, um, when they don't get something like wait a minute. You said this is like D&D, but... So is this one of those but situations where the cleric can't do certain things? Yes. In this game, turning undead is actually a spell you have to learn in Lamentations. It's not a class-based skill (coughs) that you just have. Oh, okay, good to know. If I want to do that, I better memorize that. Absolutely. Moving on. Asking questions and being engaged with the player um, character creation component is incredibly important. If you just sit back and say, well, I'm just going to sit here and tell the game master what I want to do. The game master will tell me what to roll, and then I will bitch and moan that I don't happen to have the right skill picked. That's wrong, I guess. Well, and while I agree with that, I don't think we're talking about the same person. No, not necessarily the same person. No, so I got I'm an extra. Using, I got an extra ground with that other asshole. It's nothing to do with the same person. That's right, because <laughs> I think the person I'm referring to may be that person, but they aren't the one that's going to put up a, a shit fit because. You're going to because they're going to get hung up on a rule or something that's going to come up and it's going to conflict and then they're going to complain. The person I'm talking to might have that come up and occur and roll with it. Yes. I mean, if you're willing to roll with it, if they're willing to roll with it because that's what they want, then that's fine. You know, I guess there are there are some people that hide behind the facade of I'm willing to roll with it, but yet they get pissy when they don't have absolute mastery. And that's a different problem that we can talk about a different time. But I still think one of the things to do is even if you don't necessarily read the rules cover to cover um, <clears throat> as a player, Game Masters, I, you know, yeah, you should. Um, but as a player, it doesn't hurt to, if you're not going to read them, at least ask the questions of, how do I make characters? Can we make characters together? Oh, and um, as a Game Master, I strongly advise you to make some characters too. Sit down, grab an empty character sheet, and build a few PCs yourself, just so you understand how the character generation flows. Um, I found when I don't do that, it makes that new game clunkier. <clears throat> before I ran DCC the first time, even as a funnel, I sat and I physically generated up a bunch of funnel characters. Yeah, there are tools and apps that would do it for me, but I wanted to understand it. And then when I ran it the first time with my players, we only had a couple guys playing at a very tight funnel, and I had them, we all made our characters at the time just to go through the process so we understood what it took to do it. Um, I think that's, again, if you learn better by doing, that's totally fine, <clears throat> but... Um, Ask if you're not going to read the rules, then at least ask the questions about the rules that you would have found out had you read them. You know, how do I make PCs? How do I fight stuff? And how do I resolve other conflicts? Oh, it's a 3d6, drop the lowest die and whatever, then fine, know that, know what that core mechanic is. Once you have that, the rest of the game tends to be a lot simpler. See, I think players need to know the rules as a game is becomes more crunchy. Okay, because so you're I, saying by based on game type. Well, I think that can uh, be a big factor in the whole grand scheme of things. And, I mean, it's just, you, if you get into the minutiae about, oh, hey, 
I want to, you know, I'm in DCC, I'm a halfling, so I get luck. No, by the way, your luck can be spent on others where other people cannot. And not knowing that is going to be a shortcoming of the player, but that's a rule piece where if you're in a particular game that doesn't get into those real you know, nuances that make a big difference in what you are actually playing, which isn't a ton of them, mind mm-hmm. you, you know, because I think a lot of the games you and I are referring to are going to require people to know those nuances. And I think that even when you play DCC, for example, and you're going to play that halfling and you level up in your first level, you know, after the funnel, as a halfling, you're going to need to know what's on, I think it's like a total of two pages. Yeah, it's, and even it's not then, a lot. And even then, it's like a half page of stuff because it's going to be the luck factor um, and a couple other things like the fighting fighting style, but it's pretty straightforward. Now, when you get into something that's more tactically heavy, say Pathfinder, and you start getting into feats and builds and you know, kind of um, getting into more of a uh, having an efficient character or an optimized character, then they're going to need to require what they're going to need to know what all that means. Like, okay, I have a I have three feats. They two of these stack, two of these don't. So this allows me to do X, Y, and Z. They are going to need that because that is the way the system really emphasizes the the core of what it does, like rules and you know, uh, like I said, subsystems and things of that nature. <coughs> Agreed. Not always. It's not always, but I think it plays a big factor. I think it. I think you're right. I think honestly, player um, character generation is. That's one of the reasons why that session zero was really important. Even in if in during session zero, which is one of the things I like to do during session zero, is make sure that you are making your play, making the characters. You can come with concepts whatever you want beforehand, but make the characters there, fill them out, and that gives you the opportunity to ask questions about. Hey, um, I know this is Pathfinder. I know there's a ton of feats. I want to make sure that you know I want this guy I have this vision of what I want uh, him to be. Um, Ange, do you know how this? Do you know how this works? I want to make sure I can use a long spear. How do I? How would I do that? And says, "Oh shit! I don't know. I don't know anything about that type, that fighter stuff. I always focus on thieves. Um, you know, Zave, what do you got?" And Zave, "Oh yeah, I played a ton of fighters. Here's how you do it. You can re- you can source the group. You can go back and forth. You can ask a lot of those intelligent questions as you're building your characters together. <clears throat> so I think, again, I really think that for me as a game master, when I skip making player characters myself, you know, just like sitting at home at my desk and saying, "All right, I'll make a fighter. Oh, that's cool. That's how you make a fighter. Let's make a mage, make a cleric." Spellcasters and uh, skill heavy classes like thieves or whatever can be kind of tricky sometimes. Or how do how do you heal people in this game? You know what what kind of skills do I need to be a really good healer? If it's a, a sci fi game, what kind of medic skills would you want? You know, <clears throat> going through and, and reading those different pieces um, within the rules as you make your character, you're like okay, cool, I got a really good idea of how this functions now, or at least what a character would look like. Great. So when I sit down at my pl- session zero with my players, and we're going to make characters together. It, I can help them go through that process, and I can answer some of those questions and point them to the right sections of the rule book. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's not. It's a good thing to roll up character player player characters. <laughs> so the other thing, which is one of the things I I really I like about the funnel from DCC, and I've done this in other game systems as well, even without something as official as a funnel, but um. I have done it before where I've gotten together with a couple friends of mine and I say, hey, let's make a couple 
characters and will just fight. So you make a couple characters, <clears throat> get the get the minis on a grid if it's a really tactical game or whatever, and then just battle to the death just to see how it works. Um, the combat system may be very uh, prescriptive in how it functions. It goes this move, this move, this move, this move, and then blah, 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 you know, going through it and figuring how it works. Or even the first time you run, you should, I guess, in that first session, I like to have a fight of some kind in the first session of a brand new game system, just so everybody gets a chance to see how it functions. Even if it's just, uh, you know, fisticuffs in a bar type of thing. Um, and then making sure that there's an opportunity for special skills to be used. If you have a magic user, give him a chance so he can use his spells. The cleric, he can use his things. Oh, the thief, she's got a chance to be try her thiefy stuff or the medic or the computer hacker or whatever. They need to have opportunities to try those special things. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, in that first or second session when you're all still learning the game, because I think you're right. And there's a the thing you said there that that does make sense, right? Is that not everybody learns just strictly by reading the rules. I still strongly suggest people read them, but if you, just come and you want to learn during play because you learn better by doing. That's fine. But then realize that while you're playing through that first fight, the first spell casting through DCC as you're going through different charts, oh, the first time you're healing somebody with lay on hands in this new game system and it works different or you're using this new medical um, computer hacking skill because you've got some weird wetware stuff you're dealing with, it might take you a little bit to go through it. And I think <clears throat> it's important to, as a game master... Uh, and even as players, to look for those opportunities to use those skills and use those rule components to make sure that everybody at least gets their feet wet. You know what I'm saying? I do. And an another thing about reading the rules is some of the rules don't apply to what they're doing. Like, you want me to read every class when none of that really pertains to what I do because I'm playing Ranger or whatever? Or even Game Master, there's a lot of game master things that are set aside in rule books that is like, man, I don't want to read all that crap. I'm not a game master. It's like the game master section. I think it behooves a player or character, um, and it makes them better if they do. But this is coming from again, the guy who says players are lazy, and you're giving them an out, man. It was like we split we switched sides of the table here. Because I'm a lazy player. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's funny. Do as I do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I see where we're at here. <laughs> I do I do think it's a valid point. I mean, if I could get every player character to read the rules and everything, then great. And I th I actually lean on more when I run, I lean on players because I think there's always going to be one or two people at the table that actually know the game better than me, whether I'm playing or running. Because there's so many freaking rules, man. And I read rule books all the time. I'm like, I can't remember. Shit, man, I can't remember what I had to eat yesterday, much less freaking 360-page uh, rule book. <laughs> all right. But I think, though, that I think you agree with me, though, that if you can get, you can stage at least a fight. In most role-playing games, we want to punch somebody in the face with an axe or something. want to make sure you've got a fight going. Um, do the initiative system if they have one. Um, get opportunity for that wizard to cast spells so she's got a chance to blow something up or magic missile him or sleep him or whatever. Let the hacker do her hacking bit so she logs in the computer system and pulls some great data. Somebody's got a really cool spy thing. Let that dude go off and be the spy or whatever. I think um, <clears throat> the other piece that goes with that is if it's a brand new game system, 
that you've you've read. You're like, hey, I think this would be really cool. We've never played this before. It's similar to other stuff where it's brand new, blah, blah, blah. I really think, and I've said, you know, damn the rules before, so on and so forth. But I will admit that any time I've learned a brand new game system, I do my damnedest to, ru- to run the first game, for at least the first few sessions, rules as written. Because I want to make sure that I'm not breaking anything as best I can. Now, we're going to make a mistake. We've talked about making mistakes before. But <clears throat> instead of going through and assuming that it's not going to work, like I used to do with grappling and so forth, I now, when I run them, is I look at, like I read Cypher System, and I'm like, you know what? <clears throat> In my head, I read it, and I listen to Darcy and Troy talk to us. I'm like, man, there's some really, I wonder if I should change. What if I, no, fuck that. When I run Cypher, I need to run it. Rules is written. Play it. And after after a point, then I could say, you know what, team, I want to change something up. What do you guys think? Um, because now we've experienced it in the wild of our game table and whether it's working for us the way it's written or not. But instead of just assuming something might not work or applying tweaks and hacks, um, the reason I say this is because any game system that's been out for a while, you go and someone will say, oh, if you're going to run that game, make sure you use this modification system. Oh, make sure you use this hack. It's way better than the original, blah, blah, blah. My vote is usually like, okay, that's cool, but let me run at least one short campaign with the rules as written to start with, at least a couple sessions of it before I start modding the shit out of it because I don't know if I'm, I don't even know if I like it yet. And I can't say I like or don't like the game if I haven't at least tried it as written. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. And bending the rules, you know, for something that you don't even know how good the rules are is kind of. I don't know. And then, I, no, I get you. And then as the player side, you know, the if it's brand new to you as well, which it may well be, then there's the, okay, how, how are we supposed to do this? Is there a mechanic for this? That That's a question you can legitimately ask. If you catch me trying to hand wave something, you're like, well, Brett, isn't there a grappling? Is there a grappling in this game? Because I want to try to grapple him. Oh, you're right, there is. You know how I love grappling. I'll flip the book open. We'll find the grappling rules and we'll go through it. Um, it's a brand new game. And you can't expect running the brand new game the very first time that's going to be uber fluid and that there will be no no rule hiccups or whatever it is. Yeah, I might do my thing where I, if I know what the core mechanic is, I might be able to hand wave something small. Like, oh, okay, fine, you can climb the rope. I really don't want to deal with make, how many checks do I have to make if you're climbing 50 feet on a rope when you're not being chased. Eh, fuck it, let's just say you climb the rope, let's move on. I can go back and reread that. Um, but... If we're going to have a fight, if we're having legitimate life or death combat, I want to make sure I'm using the combat rules as they're written. If the thief is really trying to pick that lock because he wants to get the treasure that's in there and there's a poison needle in it, I want to make sure that I'm using all those detection mechanics and so on so that that, that person, her thief, has a fair shot of actually getting it done and not building up a false sense of something. And then I have to come back later and say, hey... Oh, guess what, Emily? Uh, yeah, that thing I let your thief do the last three sessions, that was wrong. Um, so I'm going to well, kind of retcon the rules. We're going to go back to making it ten times harder or whatever. That's that's not always good either. No, I agree with that. That's no good. You can't retconning stuff from, like, days after. It's just not the way to go. No. Unless it, unless it, you, I mean, unless it's a big deal and... Everybody agrees that that's kind of a good move, sure. So, Sean, those were kind of my, honestly, my my high-level stuff. You know, read the rules. And when I say read the rules is 
read at least what you think pertains to you. It doesn't hurt for you to figure out what the core mechanic is. That's great. Take notes if you need to. Write them down. There's nothing wrong with that either because, hey, the core mechanic is rolling a d20. Core mechanic is percentiles. Make some PCs if you're the game master or the player. Um, play the game. You can either stage a fight, right, <clears throat> a pregame session, if you want to, with game master and players. You could just, here's a bunch of PCs that I, the game master, made up as pregens. Let's just beat the shit out of each other for an hour and just see how this combat system works. Um, and, oh, by the way, here, let's cast some spells, too, because I got some mages. Oh, I got a hacker in here, too, so let's do some computing stuff. Just try those different things. And then in your first session, from a game master's perspective, have a fight. Let people get into it. Um, use the special skills, magic, all those different bits and pieces, and then using the rules as written, at least through the first few sessions before you want to make any tweaks to it, so that you don't, um, you're going to make mistakes, as I said, but that way you don't accidentally muck something up that has really bad consequences later on. Sean, do you have any other bits for learning them that I'm missing go on, here? Go on, go on YouTube and watch an actual play. And an actual, like, the beginning of a game... And then maybe a couple, and get an actual play that tends to touch on the rules at least for the few ep- first few episodes, until they've hammered that down, and then they don't need to maybe go into them as frequently later in the show. But I mean, I th- I watched the sprawl and Adam Coble um, put that on roll twenty, and it was very good to the point where it was like, oh, okay, this is what I should do, and this is how I should do it. Awesome. So the what what I kind of put down in our notes here, Sean, were pretty much what <clears throat> what Brett does or how I learn games. Now, again, how I learn it may not be how somebody else learns it. So did, apart from the look at an actual play, when you want to learn a game, do, do you follow a similar thing I do, or what do you do differently? I don't. I don't play. I don't write up a lot of characters, which is probably a shortcoming of mine. Oh, totally, totally. Um, I just I don't understand you anymore. No. I, <laughs> Sorry. I read it and I'm like, oh, I know how to create a character. And I do, but I I don't do it. But I usually cover that in like episode or uh, session zero or whatever when everybody else is doing it and they're kind of going through the book. Most of the times folks are doing that anyway to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh do you when you read the rules, do you read them once? Do you so when I before I ran DCC, I ran it, I read it like Shortly after I bought it, like a couple years ago when I bought it, based on your recommendation, and then listened to when we had Jen on the show. And I read it again then before I ran my first funnel. I reread the entire rule book. I'm like, okay, cool, I got it. Good, refresh my brain. Then it was a year since then to now, so I reread it again before I ran. Do you do that, or do you just rely on your, you know, bear trap, razor sharp memory to always pull that stuff out? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, no, I typically look it over again. I mean, game game hole. I I run Savage Worlds. I run one Savage Worlds game an entire year, so I look it up and go, okay, shit. All right, how does that work again? How does this work again? Okay, I think I got it. I'm good, and then I just make it happen. So I had to do that. I do of I had to do that with uh, my Middle Earth and the Warhammer Fantasy I ran last year at uh, Game Hole as well. I have run them extensively before, but that was ages ago. Yeah. So a reread is always a good idea if you haven't done it in a while or at least a brush back through yeah is there anything Definitely. is there anything else that you do from uh this is how sean learns in perspective besides the ap piece uh i try to see if um if i can have players learn by osmosis and what i mean by that is if you take the rule book 
and you you whack them over the head with it hard enough <laughs> if it'll actually go goes into their brain. Okay, I thought maybe you were trying and to like diffuse the uh, rule book into a beer and then force people to drink it or something. That's that's something I haven't thought of. I haven't read that part of the rules yet. <laughs> Let us know how you get other folks. Like, how do you learn a new game? Does any of this ring true for you, or are we just... Yeah, I, I think... I tried to say this at the beginning, and I'm not... I'm sick, so I'm losing my brain here a little bit. Um, clearly, the way I learn is not necessarily going to be the way that Sean learns, or that listener, whoever you are listening to this, <laughs> learns either. But my hope is that if I'm doing something that seems to be working for me just fine, or... or um, even as a player, I pretty much do the same the same approach as I do when I'm trying to game master a game. I'm wondering what other people are doing, much as you said, Sean, because if <clears throat> the men and women listening to us are smart people, and if you guys have got some tips or tricks on how you do it, um, that's just one more way that, oh, yeah, I don't know if I, w- if I could learn like that. I'll try it. But then it's another tip or trick that I can hand to a prospective game master or player <clears throat> for a game system, say, hey, here's some things you could do to help yourself learn this game this might be this might be a good thing for you to try so it's always good to hear what other people are doing yeah and don't let brett bullshit you when he started in my star wars game he didn't even make a freaking character no i outsourced that i was very obvious about that i i admitted that early i did i don't always do everything i said either i sometimes i go i go rogue yeah we don't do anything we say (laughs) on this damn show people should know that by now i'll tell you though after after, um, so I didn't make the character, but I read the rules. I'm like, okay, that's great. I got this. And then I'm playing. I'm like, oh, fuck, I should have done this. What the hell am I doing? Why did I do that? I took the lazy man's way out. That was just stupid of me. It bit me in the ass. So I'm not doing that again. <laughs> not doing that again. Not outsourcing my characters. You just don't get the same thing as, you know, a handmade character. You outsource it like that, you just, it just doesn't work. It's not the same, not is the it, same. Brad? Not the same kind of service. I mean, no, I mean, Jim, Jim was good. Jim was good, but it just it wasn't the same. Not the same quality. No, no. Love him like my brother, just, but not as good. Yeah, something lost, you know, in that whole transaction. Yeah, made me sad. All right, let's get into die roll. Let's do it. All right, die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery and inspiration we want to bring to you. Uh, let's see how uh, Brett reads some of the listener submissions. First one for me, how to use Google Maps and Campaign Logger to dynamically map your campaign. So I read part of this. It's kind of interesting where there it's a little on the technical side, but if you follow the instructions, it's basically like creating your own kind of Google Map uh, by doing, like, I don't know if it's JPEGs, images, and then turning the Google map API onto them. And then it's, it's pretty neat. I thought it was pretty cool. It's not going to be for everybody, but if you're interested in really kind of making a dynamic map for your campaign, um, it's using two technologies and mashing them together to provide that to you. So check that out. Links into show that notes. That looks really cool. Yeah. So I will let you go with the mongrel. He, he went on a, rampage on how beneficial RPGs are and some of the things that are that that well he's talked about this on um uh, in letters to us before and we've mentioned it on the show I mentioned that one of my friends a gamer um uses role playing as, as a therapy um for him dealing with his PTSD and, and so on. 
And the Mongrel has one about an RPG research community, um, another one of positive outlooks in role playing games. Got a link in the show notes to that. <clears throat> There's a documentary about the Albant, uh, Albanti, the RPG, a documentary about after school and summer camps run by Rebecca Thomas, who is teaching kids interactive storytelling game. And the Bodana Group, which is a, a nonprofit organization that advocates the use of tabletop gaming as a directed therapeutic and clinical practice that can benefit personal growth as well as enhance social and educational services to, to individuals and families. So these are really cool. I, I've read all three of these. They're pretty fun articles to read. I like just seeing gaming in this really cool light. I mean, it's becoming more, it's not <clears throat> as underground as it was back when Sean and I were kids, and it's just cool to see that it has some uses beyond just having fun. So that's kind of neat. Thank you, Mongrel. Ezreal Rosha supplies us with a good resource for Session Zero. On the same page tool, it's on a blog. So if you wanted some guidance on doing session zero, that would be a good reference for you to check out. Link in the show notes. Very cool. Kevin found um, there was this was really cool. It made the rounds, and I was laid low by this cold, and Kevin posted up before I could get to it. But there's um, there's a Brazilian student disappeared and left behind a room covered in coded text and occult symbols. It is just screaming for some sort of a Lovecraftian or uh, occult research gumshoey type of thing. So if you can't make a game out of that, I don't know what your problem is. And, and then uh, VC Young um, had a post uh, about the self-mummified monks of Japan. Link in the show notes. I've seen this before as well. It's um, kind of on the creepy side. It's uh, priests eating special diets and then... Um, basically self-mummifying. Um, it's kind of disturbing in a way, and anybody would do this to themselves, but it's uh, it's interesting. And it's, again, one of those pieces where reality is incredibly strange. And it's uh, one more thing you can throw into any game as a good little bit of color for the locals. Well, that's it for Die Roll. I want to thank Gray Author for the review on iTunes. Thank you very much. And then also to Curtis... Takahashi for the very generous donation to the show. Yes, Curtis. Thank you very uh, much, man. That was that was very, very nice of you and very uh, unexpected. And thank you very much for doing that. Um, one thing we did not mention, well, we mentioned at the top of the show, Game Holcon um, sponsored the show. Um, they hook us up at the convention and we're partners there. So if you haven't been to Game Holcon, get your ass to Game Holcon in November. Uh, the first weekend, that's when it'll be. Um, it's going to be a blast. Tabletop RPG convention here in Madison, Wisconsin, 2017. It's going to be GameholeCon 5. Go to GameholeCon.com to find out what's going on. Sign up for their newsletter. Get alerts. Uh, submit events. Be ready to um, be on the ball for when event registration, or I should say when you can go and register for events and what that looks like for you. You're going to have True Dungeon and a bunch of guests of honor. Um, we'll be there in full force. We'll have a little soiree on Saturday night. Um, and wish you could be there and hope you could be there. Absolutely. So please, please, by all means, do that. Brett, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, Don't tell me nothing. No, next week I initially wanted to talk about um, maybe grab another of our player focus, kind of, a, of that series, part three. 
grab one of the other classes, perhaps even stepping outside of the traditional D&D-esque and going into something else. But mm. the conversation earlier from our listeners about player-facing die rolls has got my mind uh, focused on that right now. So I'm thinking it's either going to be player-focused die rolls, uh, that kind of... Um, um, the, the ups and downs, if you will, about that, and then um, possibly the player focus. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. It'll be one of those two. One of those two. Ooh. All right, Brett. That's great. Yeah. So I'm kind of with it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been one we're going to throw in the can. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest DeGary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, The Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stefan Dragonspawn, Evan Harrison Cass, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jared Rasher, Jared Lytle, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, and With Static. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider going over to GamingAndBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.